0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch. I'm a real estate broker practicing in the greater Toronto area, and I am joined here by none other
1: than my buddy Nick. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. As always, every Tuesday and Friday morning, we come to you and we are bringing you the best and, well, actually, unfortunately, the worst news these days, but everything you need to know about real estate, what's going on in the industry, stories from professionals, and really research-driven pieces. And today, we have got a great episode for you. Dan, what are we talking about today? Because I know This is a close one to your heart because you were actually involved slightly in the production of what we're going to be covering for the majority today. Yeah, so I actually feel like this isn't necessarily
0: a bad news story, although most of the news… It's a good news story by the looks of
1: the statistics here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's more qualitative data. So basically, Zolo did a homeowner survey and they got thousands of responses. And it's basically going through the perspective that people who purchase property during the pandemic have on how they feel about their assets and whether or not they're happy with the current state of the market or if they're fearful as a result of the loss of equity, but also if they're fearful as to whether or not a recession might impact the performance of their asset or their ability to pay their mortgage. And the majority of the responses are from homeowners, not investors. However, I do think that from my perspective, the big question mark when analyzing where we're at in a cyclical perspective of what's happening in the real estate market is what's going to happen to sentiment as a result of what's changing in the macro and in the micro right now. And so I think this is probably the best analysis of
1: that that we've seen so far. And I'm looking forward to covering it on this episode. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely a bigger sentiment piece than you see, and I think it's very important to dive in. So without further ado, let's start off by going into our first news piece of the day done by a friend of the shows, Alyssa Davies, a finance expert and best-selling author, as well as a content manager for Zolo. She is a busy woman. Yeah, so – Alyssa and and another friend of ours on social,
0: Bridget Casey, are actually going to be launching a podcast focused on financial freedom and getting a better grasp on understanding your money. I think it launches in a couple of weeks. I think they were aiming for October, so people should stay
1: tuned for that as well. Yeah, and Alyssa wrote this great piece and actually interviewed Dan for it, and we found it to be really valuable and provide some great insights and a very interesting perspective that you don't really see in the rest of the mainstream media covering the real estate world right now. And yeah, so before we dive
0: into this, Zolo is basically a resource for a lot of home buyers. The majority of their market share I think is in the greater Toronto area and in the greater Vancouver area. But basically, I think they're the second highest ranked website by search traffic for the real estate space after realtor.ca. So they have a ton of data on consumer sentiment on basically what search trends are doing, etc. And actually, one of the people who I think probably knew the best that the market was turning over was Jason who runs Zolo. He's relatively active on Twitter and him and I communicate on a pretty regular basis. And so, I've always been really interested. I've actually been trying to get their data. I've been saying like, I'd love to be able to make charts out of the (laughs) consumer sentiment because on Realtor.ca – Let me make charts, please. But on Realtor.ca, you (laughs) can actually go into the back end and search different – They're not exceptionally good data points, but you can actually go into the back end and search for like What the top search terms were in an area, you know, what's trending up, how many bedrooms and bathrooms people are looking for. Are they first-time home buyers? You can kind of profile different markets across Canada. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see Zolo do something like that because I think they actually collect richer data about the people who are searching on their website. But anyway.
1: Hint hint Zolo, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know, they're good for, you know, buying, selling, renting. I think they have a refi and and they also provide real-time market insights. And I think it's a pretty nice very user-friendly platform so anyway i mean without summarizing it more than that let's just dive in on this article what's the headline
1: okay headline is pandemic home buying not panic home buying survey shows pandemic buyers have no regrets so news segment after news segment we've all heard about the financial shock and awe of the housing market throughout the pandemic and it's no mystery why finding a bright side in home buying news can be challenging these days when it seems to be full of stories about skyrocketing prices, bidding wars, and the pandemic home buying regret after what for a lot of people seemed like a rush and maybe a bit of a messy process. And I think the reality is homeownership
0: for those who broke into the market during this pandemic, I guess the question was, was it that bad? And they set out to find the answer to that by interviewing Canadian homeowners. So I'm really excited to go through this because I feel like the state of the market is really becoming a huge sentiment question, as I mentioned earlier. I like to think of this like, you know, a lot of boomers seem to have been scared as a result of what happened in the 1990s. If you talk to, you know, I'd imagine most of our listeners are in the millennial cohort. If you talk to your parents, I'd be very curious to know whether or not they are bullish or bearish on real estate and whether or not they have fear towards that because of what happened to valuations from 89 basically to 94. And I think that you know I would guess probably about 50% of boomers are almost afraid of real estate investing. And I think that I've just had this curiosity to whether or not this survey's findings are going to allude to the same thing happening eventually. Because I think that the only way that you can really realize whether or not we're in a, seeing a bottom in the housing market or in the real estate market is when we've reached a point of almost despair, right? And I think Ooh. the current shift, yeah, I know it's it's sad to say, like it feels like depressing to talk about that. But you know, the current downturn we're seeing is ultimately right now having a healing effect on the market, in such that it's causing a, a secular shift away from this obsession, this FOMO with everybody's trying to rush into the real estate market, and we've commoditized the housing asset, and you know, the financialization of housing is making. Millennials feel like this disenfranchised generation and just left out politically. And generations after us are going to feel the same way. You know, Gen Zs especially, like they've all but completely given up on the dream of homeownership in Canada. And Statistics Canada actually came out with some crazy data on this as well, which we're probably going to be doing a, another whole episode on. We might cover a little bit of it at the end here, but really, my curiosity, Nick, as to these findings, is: is there potential to see the same? shift in sentiment happen after we finish this real estate cycle that we saw in the 90s because that will determine a lot of the investment decisions that I will be making and what I think most investors should be making in the next decade.
1: So, yeah, how did the pandemic influence home buyers? So in many cases, home buyers found their current living situations weren't suitable for the pandemic. I mean, this was, find me one person in Canada that doesn't know at least a few people that thought this way and moved, and I'll buy you dinner. 55% of homeowners surveyed the report that the pandemic did influence their decision to buy a home. I actually thought it would have been a little bit higher than 55%, to be honest. But first time home buyers were even more impacted by the pandemic, with 60% saying it affected their buying decision. So some even made big moves that they usually wouldn't opt for, including moving
0: out from urban areas or inner city into more spacious properties or to different provinces even. So, you know, the concepts that we just mentioned there were the idea of an urban exodus. So, we saw a lot of people moving out of major cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary and into the suburban areas. And there became this big premium for space and for backyards because travel was restricted and because a lot of people were working from home. And so, they had, you know, they wanted to have an extra bedroom or whatever it was to have a home office. And then the other piece was people saying, "Oh, well, if I'm going to be working from home, Toronto actually wasn't the city that I wanted to to live in." And I'm using Toronto as an example because it would have been the biggest net exodus area. And so people mm-hmm. were leaving that area and going to places like Halifax. Halifax being a big one, you saw prices run up as a result. You know, going to places like Calgary, going to places where they could afford to have the house that they wanted and they weren't making sacrifices on the cost of living, on the cost of ownership and they could have a greater quality of life, you know, they could consider starting a family in one of those areas. And so it's almost from my perspective and this is why I think it's cool in the context of Canadian real estate investing and, and what it means for Canadian investors is it's almost created a renaissance period for a lot of these Canadian cities that were forgotten about towards the tail end of, of the last housing cycle. Not and not to say they weren't because I understand that or they were they were forgotten about, but you know, we know a, a big portion of immigration which drives you know, growth in the Canadian economy and growth in the Canadian population big portion of that lands in the greater Toronto area. And I think that that could also be a secular trend changing to watch out for. So I guess I'll just reference these couple of data points you included in here. It turns out 80% of the Canadians who bought during the pandemic are happy they bought a home when they did. Another 84% of these same buyers are satisfied with their home purchase today in spite of prices coming down since the rate hiking cycle started in spite
1: of their mortgage costing them a lot more on a monthly basis. Yeah and I mean those are good numbers you know 80 and 84 percent are happy and would still buy today. you like seeing those. So do people who made big moves regret their decision? Well it looks the survey found that most respondents who had moved provinces to buy are happy with their choice. Of Canadians who moved a hundred kilometers but stayed within their province, so for instance, let's say if you move from Toronto to North Bay, which was on the top of the U-Haul index, which we covered in an earlier episode, 85% are satisfied with their home purchase today. Of those who moved provinces, 91% are happy. So actually, if you stay within your provinces, you're 6% less happy than if you moved provinces. But overall, 84% of homeowners are still happy with their purchase. And although most home buyers felt the pinch in a competitive seller's market and opted to waive financing. And inspection conditions, which you know was never a great idea, you might think they have pandemic home buying regret, but instead they still feel pretty happy and confident with their decision.
0: Yeah, of the Canadians who were offered the list price to win the bid on their property – Eighty-four percent are still happy with their purchase today, and of the Canadians who bought a property sight unseen, seventy-nine percent are still happy, which is crazy from my perspective. I don't know how many. I, know. I don't know how many were <laughs> surveyed in that perspective, but we've got a stat down here actually for it. Yeah. So I just think it's so interesting from my perspective that that questions like this exist. That that's the state in which Canadian real estate is in. That people were, were yeah. purchasing properties sight unseen. I mean, I understand it. When we're talking about the discussion of people moving out of province, where it's not exceptionally easy to fly somewhere and go look at five properties and then go home and then do it again and again, so it is—it's a little bit tougher to really, you know, properly engage with the asset or with the product that you're trying to buy. But I just—it's crazy from my perspective, and yeah. and, I, and I think that the reason it's important to me to understand what homebuyers are doing is because I think that. They're the more emotive buyers in the market and a secular shift or a shift in sentiment or a major change in sentiment and progression towards that bottom state from my perspective that we might see in the housing market will be driven by owners. It won't be driven by investors who are more qualitative, who take emotion out of the decision. But this is why I think it's important to analyze because as investors, we need to know who... To be honest, and this is a take that a lot of people don't like, but the competitors are in the market because as two people are trying to buy a house, one of them could be an investor and one of them could be an end user,
1: right? Yeah, totally. I just wanted to touch base on that, site unseen thing, just to clarify for people. So sight unseen just literally means you have not physically seen the property. Now, it doesn't mean that you haven't had your real estate agent walk through it and FaceTime you or send you videos or provide some insights on it. But sight unseen, I mean, Dan, you and I semi-recently bought a property and neither of us have seen it. And we didn't even have that real estate agent go through and, and do a full walkthrough. However, that was an investment. The numbers made sense. And that is all we really looked at. We knew the numbers made sense. It didn't really matter what the inside looked like or anything, right? We had an inspection report, we had a rent roll, and that was good enough for us. Now, mind you, if I'm buying my forever home or even my Beginner home, you know, I'm a first-time home buyer. The likelihood of you buying something sight unseen is is hopefully drastically less.
0: Yeah, I think that you know it's interesting from an investor perspective because we do a lot of long-distance investing, and I actually want to continue doing a lot of long-distance investing. And this is a, maybe a decent opportunity to plug a couple of those other concepts that we've mentioned that are of value to. Investors. And that is number one, having a team of people that you trust. And number two, having a very good system of analysis for properties and for opportunities to understand if a deal fits your mandate. Because the fit for me, an investor, the physical element of the property, what it looks like, the touching and feeling of it is actually one of the smallest components. To me, that's actually a qualitative decision making variable. And it's if I go through the property, are there any major Problems with it. And so, you know, for us buying four hours away, just outside of Montreal, as an example, we need good quality contractors who we can send through a property if the property needs a lot of work. We need good agents and agents that we have good relationships with and systems of trust that we can send through a property to know whether or not it's going to fit our mandate. And then we need the ability to look at the rent rolls, look at the property and determine whether or not it fits our investment criteria on a numbers basis. As long as those three boxes are checked from my perspective, that's where you can be comfortable purchasing an investment property sight unseen. And again, this is where I think talking about buying your forever home, taking out that element of the qualitative. Qualitative needs to be touched and felt. I will never disagree with that. But the quantitative doesn't always. And so if you're planning to be a long distance investor, which most of our younger investors who are listening are going to have to by necessity because the cheaper markets are always further away. If that's the type of person that you want to be, build a system, start building a system now in an area where... You, know, you can confidently buy something sight unseen. Make that even if you're not going to do it on your first deal because I'd be very surprised if you didn't. I wouldn't recommend it at all. Build a system, systematize it in such a way that you could confidently build sight unseen. When you're going out to meet your first realtor on the first property that you're ever or the first contractor or home inspector who's going to go through, make sure that you're thinking, okay, could I do this? Is this the kind of person that I could trust to do this for me while I'm sitting at my desk four hours
1: away? Yeah, totally. And just to clarify for anyone listening, doesn't know rent roll is essentially when you get a history and records of all the rent paid on that. So if you're buying a duplex, triplex, whatever it may be, and it is occupied, you're going to want to see that rent roll. That should be one of the first things you're asking because that will illustrate quite clearly if you are walking into issues with tenants not paying rent or if it's pretty standard procedure let's move on and get back to the article here the next subtitle is really interesting here homeowners would still be happy even if real estate markets see significant drop well we have started to see a significant drop in some places but i think both dan and i can agree that we think it'll probably get worse before it gets better so with the economy shifting interest rates rising and other real estate markets following suit many people feeling uneasy about their finances Prices in 40 of 53 reporting real estate boards across Canada fell this quarter. But this decline was the most significant in Ontario, where for the first time in a long time, homes aren't selling for tens of thousands of dollars over the list priced. God. In Toronto, for example, in July 2022, the average home price began selling for 2% below asking. In contrast to 48% of Toronto homes sold for 20% over asking in February of twenty twenty two. Oh, wait a second here. What's this? Daniel Foch, a real estate development expert and host of a popular podcast. Who's that guy? The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Wow, this can't be the same guy here, is it? Do you want to read your own quote or is that too, I'll is summarize, that too much if you I'll read your own, my own quote? <laughs> I feel like actually it was almost
0: recontextualized a little bit anyways for the article. So I mean a big thing here is I talk about this all the time. You know, I don't think it's possible to time the market. But I think that I don't think it's necessary to time the market either. And the reason that I don't think it's necessary is because the timing of the market really only matters when you're entering. So your first purchase and your last sale. And most people don't actually ever make their last sale on their primary residence, by the way. They pass away or they're moved into a home and the asset gets handed off to kids or split up or whatever it is. So that doesn't matter either. So it only really matters if you're a first-time home buyer. And as an investor, you know, we always will talk about the right deals are made on the way in, right? You do have to buy well, but you don't have to time the market well. And the difference there is that for the past five years, as an example, we weren't in a position to buy well. And so the market timed itself. I'll say this like, you know, repeatedly, and it's not to make a dig at a popular political quote as an example, but the market will time itself, I think in such that it will reveal to you opportunities for good deals to be made. And we're entering into a market where you can actually negotiate deals, where you can actually buy with conditions. You can go in with financing, you can inspect properties, you can negotiate, you can try and ask for vendor takebacks, et cetera. There's a whole list of luxuries that you had as a buyer
1: today that you didn't have in February of this year, 2022. Wow. Stick around for Mo Daniel Foch, quoting Daniel Foch on a Daniel Foch podcast. (laughs) I'm just kidding, man. I feel like I'm on, what's that show with? Inception? or you know, the,
0: what's the, the, the tru- car? We put a, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Truman my Show, baby? Don't fit my ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, anyway. Okay, sorry. We'll get back to it here, folks. This is a really interesting stat right here. 63% of Canadians would still be happy in their home, even if real estate dropped significantly. So- I don't know what the sentiment of that remaining percentage is. If it's dire straits, if it's, you know, I'm annoyed by it kind of thing. But it's nice to see that well over the majority would still be happy. That to me means those people actually bought homes for the right reason. And we can get to those right reasons later. Let's just keep plowing through this article here. Owning a home helps you accomplish your financial goals, especially for first-time buyers. So in most cases buying a home helps you achieve your financial goals according to respondents of the survey 46% say buying a home has helped them achieve their financial goals whereas only 17% say it's hindered their ability to fulfill other financial dreams the figure was slightly higher for the first time home buyers where 52% believe buying a home has helped them achieve their financial goals so that's a little lower. That's almost 50-50 right there with the first time home buyers achieving their financial dreams, financial goals. What's your take on that, Dan? I think that there's a couple of different elements here, but
0: the big piece is like I think that for homeowners and owner occupiers and I do understand that, you know, a good portion of our audience is my perspective is I don't think that people should think about the home as an asset or or as, I mean it is like more akin to a liability from my perspective if you're thinking from a pure accounting perspective. And so I think people need to really unpack what they want to get out of it. And there are a couple of different things on that list from my perspective of advantages to buying real estate to live in. I don't personally do that. And so it's because I've I've really unpacked it just to be a qualitative thing. But a home is a great... A mortgage is a great savings vehicle, right? So you're not necessarily buying a home so much as you're committing to a mortgage. A mortgage is a great savings vehicle and a lot of Canadians aren't exceptionally good at saving money. And so they need a savings vehicle. A mortgage is also a great way to get levered exposure to the market. Even if it's just an inflation hedge, even if a home is just going up at the value of inflation, if you're in a 5% down mortgage or a 20% down mortgage, you are either at five times leverage at 20% down, right? So you're borrowing five times more money than you have into the deal. So you get a five times multiplier on that rate of return. So if the house goes up in value, then by inflation, then you're getting a return of five times inflation on the money that you put into the deal. This is why real estate is a good inflation hedge, right? It gives you access to leverage and a lot of people haven't had access to that. You're basically becoming a hedge fund, right? I think I've used this analogy before, but like hedge funds are allowed to lever up like crazy amounts because they're de-risking by taking a hedge position and CMHC home insurance basically allows the average... Owner occupier to do the same thing, CMHC mortgage insurance allows homeowners to do the same thing as long as they live in the property. And so, again, I think that like a lot of these data points actually give me a good feeling that Canadians aren't as far detached from, you know, the reality of what a home should be as I thought that they were. And it, it kind of makes me feel like. Especially with the point that sixty three percent of Canadians would still be happy in their home, even if the market dropped significantly, I, I would hope that investors would be doing, would be feeling the same way. And I don't think most people who invested, to be honest, during the pandemic would feel that way because they probably have invested for capital appreciation, which is I call speculation. But we want to teach investors to invest for value. You know, if you're joining us from the Canadian Investor Podcast, they talk a lot about value investing. It's not a stock trading podcast. And we're not a real estate trading podcast. We're not a, you can't day trade real estate. We talk about value investing and how to do that. And one of the big ways is to buy assets that you would be happy with no matter what happened to the market.
1: Yeah, I love that. So Canadians who bought during the pandemic don't have home buying regret. Instead, they are mostly happy with their decision, proving that homes are more than just an asset. They are places to set down roots, build community, create memories, and feel safe and secure. So, great article there, Alyssa. Go check out the full article on Zola. I just want to go through a couple of these stats that she's got here because I find some of them quite interesting. Dan, can you scroll up in the notes here and we'll we'll just look at? Yeah. I want to go over which steps home buyers take while house hunting. And then I also want to go over why did Canadians buy homes? Now, mind you, all this data is captured within that COVID. Period, right? So within the last two years. So I'll go over yeah. the first chart. And then if you want to go over the second one. Yeah. So let me just add
0: one piece here that we didn't mention that's towards the end of the article. For those of you looking at it, there's a link in the show notes, but it's like right before the illustration of my face. It says <laughs> it doesn't mean that homeowners don't worry at all because it, you know, it talks about 63 Canadians would still be happy, right? but doesn't mean that they're not worried at all. This was the most startling piece of the article from my perspective. And that is the data point that 77% of pandemic buyers say that a recession would impact their ability to afford their mortgage. That to me is a scary data point. I'm not going to lie to you. So anyway, I just wanted to cover that one before we go through all of these data points. I thought we were trying to keep things positive
1: today, man. We had to throw that We, we are, but you know a... what? It, kidding. you kidding. Know, no, it no, is no, actually, you're right. That
0: is- I think that there is a silver a lining in that. It's a very important point. I think that there is a silver lining in that. Not that I'm the kind of guy that goes out to try and find silver linings, but the fact that people are thinking about this, that 77% of people who have purchased are even like analyzing whether or not a recession could exist from my perspective, right? And thinking about it as a variable to their asset, almost in their head, stress testing- We know that at least 77% of people are aware because the reality is it's going to affect 100% of people's ability to pay their mortgage. Not in a super negative way, but the economy is going to be different if we're in a recession. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this is almost a reflection that Canadians are becoming more in tune with what is happening in the economy. And that's a good thing. Right. Very good thing. Okay. Agreed. So let's scroll up here. We're looking at, yeah. is it why did Canadians buy homes or which steps did buyers take? Let's do both because
1: I think both okay. of these are pretty interesting. I'll start with which steps and you can do the next one. So which steps did buyers take well house hunting? 79% used a real estate agent. 43% used a mortgage broker. Come on, guys. Only 43%? We got to get, get that one up. Brokers man. a chance. Come on. Here's a good one. Viewed the property in person once, 40%. Viewed the property in person more than once, 39%. Offered over list price, 28%. Those were the days. Attended an open house, 27%. Participated in a bidding war, 21% of buyers. Attended a virtual viewing. That was a hot commodity there for a little while. 20% of people did that. Waived inspection conditions, no, no. 17% of you people did that. Why did you do that? Waived financing conditions, 11%, don't do that. And purchased the property sight unseen. Only 8%, it's a risky 8% right there. Damn, why did Canadians buy homes?
0: Yeah, so the primary reason that Canadians bought homes during the pandemic is because they needed more space. At 53% of purchasers citing that as their primary reason. 43% were tired of renting. 28% felt that it was a good investment opportunity. So that's a really good indication of the mm-hmm. secular perspective of investing during the pandemic. That you know the third most popular reason that people purchased during COVID was because they felt it was a good investment opportunity. 26% wanted a change of pace or lifestyle. That's probably a lot of your out-of-province or urban exodus or provincial exodus buyers right there. 24% wanted to be closer to their family felt that their previous home's configuration did not meet my needs. Obviously, work from home likely playing a pretty big role there. 17% needed more affordable housing. 14% did not need to live close to their workplace anymore. I actually thought that that would be a bigger one, to be honest. So did I, yeah. 12% had access to better employment opportunities in the other area that they were moving to. And 7%
1: moved for other reasons not cited in the survey. They just didn't want to say what are those reasons the secret seven percent i'm dying to know okay i think that anything else you want to say about this article i'd recommend anyone listening if you want to see those stats if you want to learn more about it or read more of Alyssa davies wonderful work go follow her on instagram and go check it out on zolo we do have another section that we want to get to? I think the only
0: other piece that I maybe cover is like, what are the best parts of owning during the pandemic? Best and worst parts. I think that the fact that 49% of people cited that one of the big advantages was the opportunity to build wealth. Again, from my perspective, is very indicative of the secular perspective towards real estate among people who are purchasing during the pandemic. And to be honest, I mean, like, it's almost rhetorical from my perspective. Like, it does go without saying a little bit that you do need to probably be pretty bullish to be buying real estate in the you know biggest financial event of our lifetimes but you know to me again it's just indicative that almost half of the people prioritize the opportunity that a housing asset had to build wealth and the worst part again is the cost so we're understanding here that ownership can be expensive but also the upkeep and maintenance and these are two things that are worth considering as an investor as well As you know, what what most people would consider drawbacks from owning property, because we don't always want to just talk about the good things. So anyway, did you want to talk about rents next? Use that as a
1: segue. Yeah, let's let's go to rents because they are a hot topic right now. So this is from a Daily Hive article titled "The Average One Bedroom Apartment in Toronto Now Costs Over Twenty Three Hundred Dollars." The average one bedroom. Man, I remember when I first moved down to the city, like in my early 20s, I'm not going to date myself too much here, but let's just say that was over a decade ago. And I think I was paying 1600 for a two bedroom right up by like Bay and Wellesley, big, beautiful spot, balcony, everything. That thing has got to be like three grand now, almost probably doubled in price. Anyways, according to the September 2022 National Rent Report from rentals.ca and the Bullpen Research and Consulting, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Toronto hit $2,329 in August. That's a 3.2% jump from July and an annual increase of 17.1%. Man, that hurts. These rents are getting out of hand here. For the sure. average two-bedroom in the city now costs three thousand two hundred and sixty-six per month, a monthly increase of just zero point two percent, but a staggering twenty-four point three percent jump from August of twenty twenty-one. Whoo! Wow. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're really starting to
0: see inflation creeping into these rental costs. And also, I think that- I don't like, know if creeping in, it's like yeah. sprinting in. Yeah. Head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like running boring. in at this yeah, point. Sure. It's like the Kool-Aid guy, like breaking yeah. through the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's no, true. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, Toronto now being the second most expensive, well, I guess it, not now, it was always, but the second most expensive city in Canada last month, only behind Vancouver. And Canada-wide, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is 1628 while a two-bedroom runs just over $2,000. The national average rent hit $1,900 in August, topping the previous high of, I guess it was up, sorry, it was 1959 and it was previously 1954 in September 2019. So basically, we have recovered all of the losses in the rental space that were experienced during COVID. And you know, from my perspective, I think that this is... And I think you're going to look at a lot of the different areas where rents are under national averages. But for me, you have two very cool factors here that are worth thinking about from the perspective of an investor. Your income rents are going up and your cost price is going down. So cap rates, the metric that we use most often to compare properties side by side is improving. The rate of return on property is improving right now on an objective Mm -hmm. basis. And so I think we're sort of entering this period of time in which the perfect storm is being created for investors to start looking at properties. Notice that I didn't say lever up, go get a HELOC and buy as many properties as you possibly can. (laughs) I said, start looking at properties because you can actually work good deals into place right now.
1: Okay. And if someone wanted to figure out what a cap rate was or, or any other metrics, well, you're in luck because we did a full episode on episode 19, the top five ways to analyze a deal and to make it even easier on y'all. We have partnered with Lendlord, and they have this incredible software where basically you punch in a deal and it shows you the cap rate, the IRR gives you the first year projection and the 10 year projection. So yeah, sorry, Dan, you were going to say, let's dive into the rents,
0: I believe. Yeah, let's analyze some of these places where rents fall under the national averages. Because from my perspective, I mean, these are potentially high growth markets, potentially more stable markets where you're not
1: seeing volatility in the rental side or the price side. Totally. Okay. So let me just remind everyone, the average for a one bedroom, the national average is 1662. The national average for a two bedroom is 2135. So what we're gonna do is gonna I want to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's almost 20 markets here that are under that national average for the one bedroom and even more for the two bedroom. So just to name a few, we're gonna start with the very cheapest markets across the country. Lloyd Minster in Alberta, the average one-bedroom is $827 and the average two-bedroom is 964 So just above that, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan,
0: one-bedroom at $988 and very low monthly growth, but year-over-year growth of 11% and the two-bedroom is $1,152, actually down month-over-month, but again, up
1: 10% year-over-year. So from Saskatoon, we go to another beautiful city in Saskatchewan and we're in Regina where the average one bedroom is now $1,036. The average two bedroom is 1241 Number 32 on the list, Fort McMurray, Alberta,
0: obviously a market that's incredibly dependent on what's happening in the oil market. So I would just mm-hmm. hazard to make sure that you have a good understanding. And I actually know a lot of guys you know, like who are talking about the Oil market and trying to get exposure to because a lot of guys love Canadian oil and gas and trying to get exposure to that market through real estate buying properties in Fort Mac. So, and if you ever want a cool film about Fort Mac, Canadian movie Fubar 2 is an exceptional great, great, <laughs> great Christmas movie, actually. Oh my God. The, what the, what's the quote there? The Mac is a cruel mistress. Hopefully, it won't be for investors here, but Fort Mac. <laughs> thousand dollars to rent a one bedroom down year over year and thirteen hundred dollars, sorry, thirteen thirty-nine to rent a two-bedroom
1: up year over year by seven point eight percent. Okay, so from there we're we're sticking in Berta for now, and we go to Edmonton, where the average for the one bedroom is now just over thousand dollars at a thousand seventy-one, and the average for a two bedroom is at Thirteen fifty
0: six, and actually, I will say Edmonton is the place in Canada, at least for me, that the most people have reached out to me. In we have a huge community in Edmonton, so shout out to all of you who have reached out to us yep. from that community looking to invest in Edmonton. If we start doing in person meetups, that will be the first place that we do it. We're thinking about doing it. We're also thinking about building an online community for people. So let us know if that's something you'd be interested in. But we might actually be doing almost. Uh, Canadian real estate investor podcast sponsored in person meetups so that people can network with one another and just do deals and just absolutely crush it. So, I have a call with one of the guys who reached out next week to try and see if we
1: can tease something like that up. So, I'm really fired up about talking about Edmonton right now. I can tell. I can tell. But you know what? We're taking the podcast on the road, baby. I can't wait. It's going to be a ton of fun. Honestly, what Dan said, we were. We're trying to figure out the best way to do this, but our goal is to, you know, we see the data, we see where people are listening, and we love you guys. We appreciate it so much. We love you so much. We want to come meet all you and talk about real estate with you in person and ideally have people in in every place that we have listeners show us some deals. So stay tuned for that. More on that later. Yeah, and I think just like people being able to meet as well, just helping
0: to, you know, for us just using that, this channel to help people have successful meetups where they want to do, you know, groups of 5, 10, 20 people on a monthly basis and just talk about deals. Like totally. that's where I've gotten, you know, I mean, one of the individuals who reached out was a contractor. Another one was a realtor. And another one was, you know, an individual looking for a very specialized type of commercial property that he wants to kind of partner with somebody on. So, put those couple of people together, and maybe you got a pretty sweet deal in the making. And And I've, done a lot of transactions this way through networking. And, and you, you know we mentioned in in our other episode, I guess I think it was 18 of the 10 most important people. Episode
1: 20, actually, I think you're referring to the six most important six, people. Yeah,
0: six most important. Number six, the mystery people was other investors, right? And so, we want to yeah. create the means for people to meet one another online and, and in person. And so, we're going to do that coming up soon. I guess we got a couple other markets here. Winnipeg, Windsor, Laval in twenty eight. That are all are they all under the average?
1: Yeah, the national average goes actually all the way up to we almost were we go Brampton, Surrey, Calgary, Markham, Gatineau, Oshawa, Montreal, Saint Laurent, Laval, and, and then down. Those are actually all under the national averages for for both one and two bedrooms. So if you're there, enjoy your cheap rent. But also, you
0: know, from my perspective, other than I think a couple of different markets there, I think that those are markets that I would consider to be the higher potential for stability. And again, you're not seeing like massive year over year growth in rents. You're not seeing so you're not seeing the volatility. We want to try and avoid that volatility again. Yeah, we we want to be independent of price. So it shouldn't really necessarily matter. But to me, the volatility makes it harder to find a good deal, right? It clouds the ability to get a good read on what's happening with rents. You know, if you're forecasting based on rents that were extremely inflated because you bought you were using August Toronto Rental transactions, as an example, when a flood of students are coming in and renting up these places at way more than they're worth, and now all of a sudden rents recoil because you're renting in September, October, November, December, and your assumptions are way off. Want to try and avoid volatility in the data?
1: Yep, I love that. Well, we've talked about deals. Yeah, let's let's go to our final segment. Oh yeah, we got the deal of of the day. day. I forgot about that. Deal of the day, baby. And guess what, guys? Today's show is all about Dan. He quoted himself in his own article, and guess what? The deal of the day. We're analyzing one of Dan's deals. (laughs) I was just curious to do this one, especially because I mean, I think that this property will
0: probably be sold by the time the episode comes out. I will have a couple of offers on it that I'm presenting likely over the weekend. But I was curious to see whether or not a single family detached in the greater Toronto area was even a decent deal again. And so we pulled it up. Address is 15 Corners Avenue, Georgina. Uh, This is Peffer Law, basically. Barely Greater Toronto Area, like calling it the Greater Toronto Area is very, very A guy from
1: outside of the Greater Toronto Area would call it the Greater Toronto Area. So, there
0: (laughs) (laughs) the Yeah, like I I post these things on like as Facebook ads, like when I advertise stuff and I get like a bunch of Karens like basically yelling at me saying that it's not in the Greater Toronto Area. So, there's that (laughs) as well. And I'll, I literally just linked to the Wikipedia, like I'm not the one who decides what's in the greater Toronto
1: area. I'm technically, sorry, Karen. oh You're one of the technically guys. Yeah. Eh? OK, so just what I noticed, because I got this up on Realtor. You've got it on the landlord platform. I'll just quickly. So the address is 15 Corners Avenue in Georgina. It's listed for 649977 977, uh, 100 by 100 lot. So that's a nice lot right there. Been on Realtor.ca for eight days. And it's got a detached garage. So Dan, what does that look like when you punch those numbers in?
0: Yeah. So I mean making the assumption that you're buying with, I think it's a – I think I have it 30% down here. So about 200 grand into the deal, let's say give or take. And that's with closing costs of 5K land transfer tax and 5K closing costs of 10K in total. Cap rate of four point two five percent, which is like okay. I mean, that's like that's an that's like what institutional buyers are looking for buying big multifamily stuff in Toronto, Greater Toronto, or like major markets. Mm -hmm. Cash on cash is low for year one. I mean, it's not going to be a super cash flowing property. It's going to be pretty airtight. Like you're actually you are cash positive or break even, let's say after taxes. So cash on cash is only three percent net annual cash flow. It makes like six thousand five hundred bucks so it's like you know this is, you're not buying this deal for the cash but again we like to look at deals of all shapes and sizes because investors have different criteria some people want cash flow like i was saying in the last episode cash flow for the first couple of deals makes sense because you can boost your income long term metrics internal rate of return 8.34% again maybe not an irr deal and the equity multiple of just over 2%. Long-term ROI over 10 years is about 107.14%. So if you cut that in 10 years, it's just over 10% per year. Not a bad deal, but not 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 an amazing deal, right? It's not an amazing deal. And the point here is that you're not finding amazing deals as an investor in the greater Toronto area yet. Maybe not ever, I don't know, but not yet, not
1: right now. And probably not on the MLS either, which is why we are going to do an episode on unconventional ways to find great deals. So stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for listening everybody. My name is Nick Hill. I've been joined by Daniel Foch today and we see you every Tuesday and Friday. Stay tuned if you want to know anything about us or how to work with us or have any questions. If you want us to analyze one of your deals, reach out, the email is in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening.
0: The Canadian real estate investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Centre, license number 10317, and a partner in g Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037.
1: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.